This past month has been what I can only refer to as a tsunami of events where I have found myself in a flood of people from all sorts of places in my past, uh, way past, future past, lots of people. I've been to numerous funerals and weddings and birthday parties and open houses. And I just have to be honest with you, it's been a whirlwind of a month, and I don't know if it would be possible for me to count the number of people from all sorts of places in my past that I've had one of those catch-up sort of conversations. You know what I mean? Like you see people you haven't seen in a long time, and it's time to catch up. Now, a good number of these conversations were wonderful. I will say that. But can I just say, among friends here, uh, people like to talk about themselves, don't they? I'm just saying. I think most people would agree that our relationships with one another are the richest when we listen carefully to one another, and then we speak appropriately in return, we listen carefully, speak well back to one another. But I've just had a month of reminding me how listening to one another is almost a lost art in our culture. There is a lot of talking going on, but listening carefully to others, well, that's just another subject. And I know this just isn't in our out in the social world sort of issue, uh, because a good deal of my pastoral counseling of late has really boiled down to getting husbands and wives, or parents and children, or even members of small groups speak appropriately to one another and to listen attentively to each other. I say all this because today we will be looking at this notion of carefully listening, but we're going to be talking about it in terms of listening carefully in our relationship with God. We've spent a good deal of the last three weekends talking about how God is paying attention to us, how He's listening to us and taking in all that we say to Him and all that we do for Him and that He is aware of what's going on. He's paying attention. And each week in the series has been very important. Dave and Barry and Marin all have given us great insights into what it looks like to worship God in thanksgiving for His presence in our lives and for the attention that He gives us. And this week, we're going to flip the coin over and we are going to spend some time talking about us listening to God. Us listening for His guidance and us listening to His encouragement and us listening to His words of truth and His words of correction. And in the end, we'll be talking about what it looks like to listen and respond to God as an act of worship. And to do this, we're going to look together at a passage found in what I believe is one of the most dense theological books in all of the Bible. That's the book of Romans. And specifically, we'll be looking at a passage found in one of the most quoted chapters in the entire New Testament, and that's, this is going to be Romans 8. So would you all turn to Romans chapter 8? It's on page 940 in the House Bible. 
And while you're getting there, I just want to welcome people that are online at some of these events. I just want to tell you that at some of these events that I've been to in the last month, I ran into people that I hadn't seen here at Grace for, since before COVID. And I just figured they'd moved on or quit going to church. Yeah, I don't know. You never know what people are going to tell you about what's going on in their lives. And then I found out they knew everything that was going on about life here at Grace. They'd heard all the sermons and everything. Guess what? They're watching online. So, hey, I just want to say hello. We're glad you're with us. We're glad you're with us. And let me pray for us before we get into this passage. Father, uh, my prayer is that you will speak through your word to us today and that we will listen well, that I will be I will disappear in all of this and your spirit will speak into the hearts of those that are gathered here and watching online. Thank you for your word to us and I pray f- that what we say and do today will bring you honor and you will find joy in our actions today. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna give you a bit of context about the Ro- book of Romans. Um, it's not a book, it was a letter and it was a letter written, and there's almost universal agreement about this, but it was a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul, who was the great evangelist to the Gentile world during the first century. And it is generally assumed that Paul wrote this letter to the church in Rome, either from Corinth or someplace nearby Corinth. But Paul had never been to Rome. He'd never even visited it ever, ever. And in fact, the church in Rome was the only church that Paul wrote a letter to that we have in our New Testaments that he hadn't started. Um, all the other New Testament churches, the, churches uh, the church in Ephesus and the church in Corinth and the church in Colossae and the church in Thessalonica, they were all planted by Paul. But the church in Rome had developed organically, as best we can tell, the Jewish and Gentile Christians, or Jewish and Gentile Christians from all over the empire had moved to Rome, and then they had brought their faith with them, and the church developed that way. What we do know, though, is that even though Paul had never been to Rome, he was making plans to go to Rome. And then after spending some time there with the Christians in Rome, he was going to head off on a missionary journey to, of all places, Spain. That was his intention. And something else that we can tell from what Paul writes in this letter, he he knew all too well that the vast majority of the Christians in Rome didn't know him personally, but his reputation as somewhat of a controversial figure in the church had preceded him, and so the people in Rome were not 100% sure about him coming. And so Paul felt he needed to write a letter to the Roman Christians as something of an introduction, as a way to show the believers there in Rome that he certainly knew his stuff about, about Jesus and about following Jesus, and that the stuff that he knew fit right in with with what the people in Rome, the Christians in Rome, thought was true about following Jesus. And boy, did he bring his A-game when he wrote this letter. Uh, I found as I was preparing that many scholars don't even refer to this book as a letter. Uh, They call it a diatribe, a diatribe. Now, to us, diatribe isn't a great 
word. Uh, it, has, it implies that it's some sort of over-the-top, negative, never-ending rant. If, you, if somebody says, I just got a diatribe from Joe at work, you don't go, isn't that wonderful? It sounds rough. But in Paul's day, the word diatribe had a specific meaning, and it meant a learned discussion or discourse. A learned discussion or discourse. And Paul certainly let out all the stops when he wrote this particular learned discussion. Why, by the time we get to today's chapter in chapter 8, Paul had already discussed some huge topics like what should a Christian's relationship with the Old Testament law be? And he actually defined what he believed sin was. And he, he talked about how Jesus had made it possible for everyone to be free from the power of death. He'd been talking about these big things, and he was just about to write extensively in this diatribe about how important it was for Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians to set aside all their cultural and historical differences and live together in unity. But just before he got going on this big topic of unity, he wrote chapter 8. And chapter 8 is a, is a chapter that's dedicated to explaining what it looks like to live your life in the power of God's Holy Spirit. And look at what he says in verse 12 of chapter 8. He says this, Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, there is a ton that we could talk about in these verses. Why, I think we could spend maybe the rest of the morning, or probably I could, talking about the word therefore. But for today, the main phrase that we want to look at is this, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, the word that gives us led here is the word ago, Greek word ago, and it meant it means to be directed or to be guided by in some way, directed or guided. It is interesting, though, that when Paul puts this word into his letter, he uses the passive form of the verb. Now, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds here, but the passive form of this verb would imply that where Paul seems to be saying that leading here is all God's work, that, that God's Spirit is doing everything. God is leading, and we, those of us who are being led by a Spirit, are simply passively being directed here and there. And I'm just going to be honest and say, I know that at times that it can be that way, that, it, that God does at time, times lead in ways where I am just along for the ride. But I have to tell you, just to be honest with you, I, I have found most of my life, that's not my experience. Most of my experience is that I have to be listening to what God is saying to us or to me, and I have to be paying attention so that I know exactly what He's saying, and then I need to make the decision 
to keep in line with what God's been saying to me. I've lived most of my life knowing that I have a choice to listen and follow what God is saying, or I can listen and then choose to go my own way. Being led is more often a choice that I make to follow his leading than anything. And in all honesty, even though Paul used the passive form of the verb, because I think he wanted to cover the aspect of the, of the Spirit sometimes just taken over and taken us someplace, but I, even though he used that passive form, I think he agrees with me in that it, this is more of a decision to be obedient when we hear God's voice, that that's what the leading is. Because the next verses, verse, verses 15 to 17, are a really forceful argument about why we should listen to God and then do what He is telling us to do. Here's what He, he says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children, we are His heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. Now, I do need to say right up front when he says that we've received, we do not have a spirit that makes us fearful slaves. And he starts now talking in that thought, he is talking about slavery. And I want you to know that slavery in the ancient Roman world was really different than the American experience with slavery. We could go on and on about the differences, but let's just be honest. Slavery is slavery no matter when it happened or where it happened or how it presents itself. It is always something that is terrible. Even if the Roman type was different than what we know it to be today, it is still one person owning other people, owning them as property. And the fear that God was talking about here when he says, you do not need to be like fearful slaves, the fear that he's talking about, there are two kinds of fears, fear that comes with all forms of slavery, and the first one is this that if you are a slave, you could be sold off at any time. You could be sold off to anyone. You could be sold off for any reason, and you had nothing to say about it. And I just have to be straight up. If I had to live under the notion or the knowledge that somebody else could sell me anywhere to anybody, anytime, I would call that living in fear. And the second fear was that you could be punished, you can be punished if you're a slave in any manner for anything your owner thought needed punishment. And you didn't have any, you don't have any recourse if you're a slave, because why? Because you're someone's property. And I, if I had to live in that kind of fear, that something I didn't even know had made my owner upset with me, and he could punish me in any manner, I'm just going to say, that's a continual fear. And Paul was saying, look, God gave you his spirit. He is never going to abandon you. He'll never get rid of you or trade you away. He will never do anything like that. He has no intention of punishment. He took care of all the punishment that anyone would ever deserve. So you don't need to be fearful. You are not a slave. 
In fact, you are a child of God. And being a child of God and not having to live in fear of Him is one really good reason to listen to Him when He starts to tell us what He thinks we should be about. Then look at what he says. He goes on in the same vein in the second half of verse 15 where he says, instead you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father. I think that Paul's use of the idea of adoption here is the most powerful of his arguments about why we should listen to God when His Spirit speaks to us and allow Him to lead us. First off, uh, adoption in the ancient world was very different from adoption in our world. I mean, really different. We think of adoption almost entirely in terms of very young children, generally in unstable situations, often from other countries, being taken into a family where their future and their circumstances will be determined by their adopted parents. It's almost always in terms of little children. Well, adoption in the ancient world wasn't anything like that. Then adoption was usually when an older, usually a man, but an older adult, an older adult, and usually wealthy, they legally made a younger grown adult, an adult who was not a family member and often was a slave or a servant in the household, This older, wealthy person made this younger adult their legal heir because, and here's the most important point, because this older person had seen the character and the life of this younger person and said, that person is the right person to be my heir. I'm going to adopt that person and make them the person who represents my family in the future. That, that's completely different than what we think of. Adoption grew out of one person's confidence that someone else had a character that was worthy of representing them in the world. Adopted people then were given the family name. They became the heir to everything in the estate. And it was also expected that when the adopted person went out into public, everyone was to treat that newly adopted young adult with the same honor that they would give the older father in that family. That's the kind of adoption that we need to think of when we read that God has adopted us. Paul was simply by saying, when God adopted you, everyone, when they read it in the first church in Rome, they would have thought that when God saw you, he said to himself, this is someone who has the potential to best represent me in the world. I want this one to inherit all that I own. I want this one to be given all of the honor that I, as God, deserve. I want this one to be my child and to be called by my name. And this is why then Paul says, he says, now we call him Abba, Father, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Adoption is a powerful statement of God's sense that you are valuable and worthy to be called his child. Now, Abba, when it says we call Abba, that's an Aramaic word of familiarity for a father. 
It was generally one of the first words that a child said in their culture. And I just have to tell you that nobody ever called anyone Abba unless they were the immediate children of a father. You may have heard someone say that Abba is similar to Daddy. I hate to say it, but it's probably a stretch to go that far. They would never, there's just no space for a daddiness in their culture. But still, we've been given permission both by Paul here and Jesus himself in another place in the New Testament to call God Abba. And that's pretty amazing. It reveals just how intimate God wants His adopted children, you and me, those of us who have chosen to follow Christ. He wants us to be that intimate with Him. And when we're that intimate with Him, He wants us to listen so that He can lead us into representing Him well. And He wants us then to show the broken world how His people are supposed to live. And He wants us to accurately mirror His character But the truth is we can only do any of that stuff if we're listening to God when He speaks to us. So let's get practical. How does the Spirit of God speak to us and lead us? And I must tell you right off that even though I am not generally a very mystical sort of guy, I have audibly heard the voice of God one time in my life. And I don't mean it was a sense in my soul or something like that. I mean, I heard a voice speak to me audibly one time. And it happened when I was considering the possibility of a massive shift in my life. I was sitting alone in a boat on a lake in Michigan, and I clearly heard God say four words to me. He said, you can do this. He didn't say, you must do this, or you will do this. It was, you can do this. And I took that to mean that He would be with me if I pursued the huge change. And because He would be with me, I could do it. But otherwise, I'm just going to say, I mostly hear the Spirit leading me in far more down-to-earth practical ways, and I'm going to give you some right now, and I want to be upfront with you that what I'm about to say is not going to be new rocket science, okay, spiritual rocket science. It's just not. What I'm going to tell you are just the Tim Ayers list for hearing the voice of God in our lives, okay? The first place I find God speaking to me is, and I know that you all know what I'm about to say. The first place I'm going to tell you that I hear God speaking to me is through the Bible, okay? Through the Bible. You all knew I was going to say that, didn't you? It's like the answer that you have to get. But hey, I do hear God speak to me through the Bible. Now, we need to be careful when we say we've heard God speaking to us in the Bible because it's possible to make the Bible say just about anything. And the Bible isn't a magic book. You can't just flip it open and point and expect God to give you new insight or tell you exactly what to do with your life. I know somebody's already come up to me after last hour and said they did that and it worked. I know. 
but it's not, it's not gonna generally work that way, folks. Uh, we have to be really careful when we handle the Bible. We have to read it appropriately and study it appropriately, and it's something that we work really hard to do here at Grace. Every time we get up here, we don't wanna make the Bible say what we want it to say, we want it to say what God intended it to say. And earlier I said that Romans 8 was one of the most quoted chapters in all the Bible, and it is for good reason, but I'm just gonna say, unfortunately, some of the quoting I've heard from this chapter are just phrases that are taken out of context and used in, way, used in ways that I know that neither Paul nor God ever intended them to be used. But I have found that if I'm careful in the ways I study the Bible, take time to meditate on what I find there, and I open-handedly discuss what I found in the Bible with others, God's Spirit will speak to me. He will. Over the years, um, God has told me how much He loves me through the Bible. And God has settled my fears about things through things I've read in the Scripture. And He has reminded me of His presence with me, and He's pointed out areas in my life that I need to be thinking about, and He's directed my attitudes and my reactions to things and my priorities, and He's even changed my whole worldview about certain things all through the Bible, and if that isn't leading, I don't know what is. I'm just saying. The second way that I feel God speaks to me is in silence. Me being quiet and letting my soul be influenced by God's Spirit. Again, this isn't some sort of magic. I think this is what Paul was talking about when he said in verse 16, now we call him Abba for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. I have found that there can be real clarity that comes to me when I have waited in silence and allowed His Spirit to join with mine. In fact, the third way that I believe God speaks to us is often in prayer. And I think that being, in, being silent before God and praying to God, speaking to Him our own hearts, those are two sides of one whole. I've found that being quiet after saying my peace to God often leads to hear, me hearing from God's Spirit. I can't fully explain it, but I know there's something wonderful in that sort of conversation. I speak, I listen, he speaks, I listen. Does this make sense? I'm going to tell you, though, I don't do it enough. You know what I regularly do? When I go to prayer, I just go to prayer. I tell God what I'm thinking or what I need or what I'm worried about. And then I go, in Jesus' name, amen. And I get up and I go right back to what? Life. And I rarely wait. I've told you what I need, God. And now I'm going to go off and do what I want to do. It's all in your hands. You heard me, God. What I found is often I simply need to be silent, give God the space to speak to me and to be open to what he may tell me in those moments. And those moments are when God's spirit is intermingling with mine in a way that opens the door to me hearing his voice. And finally, I think God speaks to us through others. I can't tell you how many times someone has said something to me and it was clearly the voice of God. 
I believe that when it comes to others, God speaks to us in two ways. One is through relationships that we have with other brothers and sisters. And then the second one, you probably aren't surprised I'm gonna say this, but God speaks to us through, uh, I would say, good pastoral teaching. I could give you a dozen examples of both in my life where either someone has spoken to me just a sentence out of nowhere and they have, I've said, uh-oh, I need to listen to that. That's God speaking through them. Or where I've been sitting under someone's teaching and they say something and you go, oh my goodness, what I've just heard is definitely God speaking to me. That's why I strongly believe that we need relationships with other brothers and sisters that are strong where we can hear from them. And we also need trustworthy pastoral shepherds that are teaching us about the ways of our Father and our desire as your pastors who speak to you is always that we are trustworthy shepherds. That is what we want to be. I can say without a shadow of a doubt, my life has been led by God's Spirit through the voices of others, voices that in the moment were clearly the voice of God to me. And I think all of this is worship. I think paying attention to what God has graciously given us in His Word is worship. And being silent before Him in ways that gives Him space to speak to me is worship. And praying in ways that create honest opportunities to hear God's perspective in our lives, that's worship. And trusting that others can be used by God's Spirit to speak into my heart and to your heart and into our minds, that is worship. These are all decisions that we make that say to God, I trust you, Father. I am willing to let you lead me into whatever you want this child to be and to do. That's worship. And my thought is that any heart that says this to God, where you lead, I will follow. That is the essence of a heart of worship. Now, I feel this is really an important issue for me at this stage in my life. I know that the one time that I heard God say, you can do this, it was about me leaving the business world, selling my business, and doing the hard work of becoming a pastor. He was right. I could, with his help, but only with his leading, do it. And these are also days when I need, probably need to spend some time in a boat, thinking about all that I've learned from God's Word, and praying honestly, and silently waiting, and being willing to listen to my brothers and sisters as they speak into my life, all so that as I move into the coming chapters of my life, I can do so fearlessly, and with a deep confidence that it is the God of the universe who is leading me. And I want to challenge all of us as a church to do this together. Let's listen carefully. Let's allow God's Spirit to join with our spirits. Let's let Him lead us in ways that we together will fearlessly become a community that shows the world the truth about God's character and His deep love for everyone. Let's listen together with a heart of worship that says, 
Dear Lord, where you lead us, we will follow. Where you lead us, we will follow. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you hear us when we pray. Thank you that your spirit speaks to us through our brothers and sisters and through those who have been given the awesome responsibility of speaking your word broadly as a pastor. Thank you for all of this, Lord. I pray that we will be a listening church that will worship you in spirit and where you lead us, we will follow. I pray this in Jesus' precious name, amen. Thanks for watching, but don't stop there. We want you to find community at Grace Church, and the first step in doing that is going to gracechurch.us hub. There you'll find other sermons, details about upcoming events, and other important announcements. And make sure you subscribe to our channel so you don't miss out when we post something new. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next time.